Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Her announcements beat Dave and James every time. I just uh, want you to know that. <clears throat> You're close to Spencer. I don't know if anyone gets that close, but this is a great morning. Good morning. Man, it's good to see you. It's a good weekend. We've enjoyed it. I hope you've had a great weekend. We had a wonderful day yesterday. We started our day by going to my grandson's first football game. It's flag football. It's his first football game. And it's fun to watch. It's like uh, nailing jello to a tree, herding cats. You know, you've got a lot of little kids out there. First football game. He gets the ball. Listen, he scored two touchdowns. I tell you what. Boy, he did a good job. I was pretty excited. But the second touchdown, he walked by me. He saw me. He looked at me. He smiled. And I went like this. And, he, went, you know, he does this. You know, he just kind of did like the, the, the strut. And I thought, there it is. There's my boy right there. And then we took off. We did a wedding at uh, Hug Point. Have you ever heard of Hug Point? South of Cannon Beach, north of uh, Manzanita. It's just, it really is. It's a beautiful place. We headed out there, got to meet a, a, a beautiful family. The father of the bride, an elderly father of the bride, he walked up to me, introduced himself. And he said, what do I call you? And I said, well, you can call me Ron. He goes, no, I mean, what's your official title? And I said, well, I don't know if I have one, but if you want to call me pastor, that's fine. I'm good with Ron. He goes, that's okay. I'm an atheist. It really doesn't matter. I said, wow, good way to get the conversation going. So we just stood there and we talked some more. And he said, did you come, did you come with anybody? And I said, yeah, I came with my wife. She's right over there. He looked over and he goes, whoa. He goes, she's beautiful. And my conversation stopped. It just stopped. He just left me. He went over to talk with her. And then when we were, uh, when we left, I said, hey, it's been good to meet you and your family. We sure enjoyed this. He said, are you leaving now? I said, yeah. He says, well, you can leave, but she needs to stay. That's what he said to me. My goodness, what a weekend, and I hope, uh, my, so we, we really have, we've enjoyed, we've enjoyed our summertime with family and weddings and all the things that happened, but what I want you to do right now, I want you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, we're going to spend time there this morning, we're beginning a series in one of the most exciting books in the Bible. I mean, if you want to talk about exciting books, this is one of them. You look in the New Testament, whenever you talk exciting, you talk Acts and you talk Revelation. Those are the two books you talk about. Well, today we're going to take some time and begin a study in one of those two books, the book of Acts. And there's probably no other book in the Bible that deals with God moving in a dramatic and transforming way as the book of Acts. And there's probably no other book that gives the church the kind of instruction it needs on how to live in this world. How to get along with each other in a church community. How to get along with the people outside of your community and really around the world. How it functions, how it interacts in the world. And I think one of the reasons the book of Acts affects us the way it does is because it's our book of firsts. It's the church's beginning. It's our origins. And I don't know, there's something in me that always wants to know, where did I come from? You know, I want to check that out. Well, the book of Acts tells us where we came from. And while you study the book of Acts, what you realize, what you understand, is there's many firsts there. Just think about it. It's about the first permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit in people, in you, in me. The first Christian church. 
The first organization of church government. The first martyr. Who was the first martyr? Stephen. The first missionary. Does anybody know who the first missionary is? Philip. We've heard Paul, Philip. It's Philip in Acts chapter 8. First missionary. The first time Gentiles, I love this, the first time Gentiles hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That happens in Acts chapter 10. And the first organized approach to world evangelism. All found in the book of Acts. The book of First. So how many have your bulletin? If you have your bulletin, pull your bulletin out. There's a little flyer in there. I put it there. I've lost mine, but it's here somewhere. There's a blue... <clears throat> there's a, Here, hand that to me, would you, hon? Uh, there, there's this blue flyer right here. And because the book of Acts is so awesome, it's so deep, uh, we can't cover everything that needs to be covered. What I thought I would do is just print this up for you, give you a little more perspective on the book of Acts. And these are some pretty amazing distinctives that you find in the book of Acts. And it's, a, it's two-sided. It says, when God moves. And listen, that's what we're really talking about. We're talking about when God moves in our life. The book of Acts shows us how this works. When God moves, a study in the book of Acts, and it talks about our mission is clear, our message is formed. You go right down that list, and I give you references where you can go. You can start to study on your own. You can look at this. And then on the back side, I love how Acts is broken down. The gospel explodes in Jerusalem. It explodes in Judea and Samaria. And the gospel expands to the whole world. The four gospels. Gospels tell us that Jesus is alive. The book of Acts tells us that Jesus is alive in you. And so that's what this book is all about. It has a lot to tell us about what Acts and our life and how our life should really be lived. This book is rich with stories and accounts of God moving in people's lives. Now I have to say, with all that said, when I started to study the book of Acts, especially the first chapter, I need to tell you that, man, I struggled. Um, I, I really struggled. I got in this, and I started looking at this, and I started thinking, and I started praying, and, and it was like kind of the same old, same old, you know, that you're looking at this, and I'm thinking, Lord, I, I don't want the same old, same old. I want something new and different in my life, and I know it's found here in the book of Acts. What in the world is holding me back? What is keeping me from diving into this book? And I realized that I was struggling because of the expectations I was putting on God. The expectations I was putting on God's people on how we should respond and what should we do when we study the book of Acts. Wanting God to do and move according to my expectations. And how many know that they're pretty small compared to God's? How many know that your expectations pretty much put God in a box? And so I realized what I was doing is I was putting God in a box. All that I was doing was referencing my past experiences because that's where I am comfortable. We're comfortable with what we know. And the book of Acts, when you study it, you're going to find out it's a book of things you don't know. It's a book of things that we talk about how God works in people's lives and it is mind-blowing what God wants to do in your life, what he wants to do in my life. There was this kind of, this holding back, my desire to kind of measure and determine outcomes for God and that had become really like a a spiritual bondage, a, a spiritual cave. 
And then I remember uh, the words that someone that I just deeply love, uh, and I, I was in a conversation with Pastor Jack Hayford, and he looked at me and he says, Ron, do you know who gets in the way of the future move of God? And, and I, I was curious, you know, Jack, I'm thinking, who is it? And he said, it's usually the people who were in the past move of God. So here's what I want. I want all us church folks to take those expectations, you put those things down, and you say, God, come, God, come, God, move, Holy Spirit, move, move in me. Move in my life. Do what you're going to do in me, because that's the book of Acts. And so what I did is I, I, I threw away all my notes. Um, I wadded up my, my outline that you were going to get. You didn't get it. And I, what I did is I wrapped that and I threw it and I threw it in the garbage. And I knew that was a breaking point for me. That was a point that I really needed to trust in the Lord. And what happened there is I started reading those 11 verses all over again. New eyes, fresh eyes. They were different now. And I came across verses 6 and 7. And this is exactly where I was. I was where the disciples were. You might be where the disciples were in this conversation they have with Jesus because of your limited expectations. And it says this. It says, and then they gathered around him, gathered around Jesus and asked, Lord, here it is. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because, Lord, that's my expectation. I've walked with you for three and a half years. And by golly, this is what I've been waiting for this whole time. Are you going to do this? You see what's happening? What's happening here is the same thing that happens in our lives. The same thing that was happening to me as I entered into the study of the book of Acts. And then here's what Jesus says. And this is freeing. This is freeing. He said to them, it is not for you to know. You can't handle it. You can't handle the truth that I'm going to bring you right now. I will reveal it to you as we go. And then he lets us know later. By the power of the Holy Spirit. He's saying you can't handle it. It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by what? I love that. By his own authority. Not by your authority. Not by my authority. By his own authority. When I read that, something happened. I mean, something just broke loose. And I'm going to tell you this. It was joy-filled. It was exciting. But it was scary. Because you know what's happening to us? You know what God's wanting to do when he moves? He wants to just shake you loose from things and, and attachments, experiences that you're just comfortable with because that's just where we would live. We live. We like to live where it's comfortable. And here's what the Lord said to me. He just said this. Embrace the mystery. Embrace the mystery, and here it is. Embrace the mystery and make the book of Acts your story. He's speaking to me. It's hard for us to embrace the mystery. It's hard for us to embrace the unknown in the power of God's Holy Spirit. What he's saying here, and I, when I say mystery, I'm talking capital M. The Holy Spirit, really, his ways are higher than our ways. He works in mysterious ways. And I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable. And here, the prompting of God's Spirit, he's saying, embrace the mystery. And make the book of Acts your story. Not the story of the church. Not the story of someone else. But make it your story. Make the book of Acts personal. Wow, what a breakthrough moment. Realizing that the book of Acts isn't a book filled with yesterdays or even tomorrows. It is a book for me today, right now. It is a book for you today, right now. That we embrace this. 
And after reading the first 11 verses with fresh heart, with fresh eyes, I found something here. It's how do I make the book of Acts my story? How can you make the book of Acts your story? And it's in the first 11 verses. There's a pathway. There's a way that we can personalize the book of Acts, that it can be mine today, fresh, now. How do I do that? Well, I want you to look at the first two verses and follow with me. It says in verse 1, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. I want you to go and notice the name Theophilus. You see that? This is who the author Luke is writing to and he's written to him before. In fact, in Luke chapter 1, the gospel of Luke, he addresses Theophilus. And there's a lot of things that people say, a debate of whether or not this is his real name or is this a pseudonym? Is this a general just title to a group of people? And with all that said, what I was able to do and what I wanted to do was put it down and understand the word Theophilus. What does Theophilus mean? Theophilus means friend of God. It means one who is dear to God. One who is near to God. Luke is letting us know that we are invited into a friendship with God. The very, the very address, the very first few words he's saying to us, he's saying this isn't about history altogether. This isn't about altogether the other things. This is about you and God. This is about having a friendship with God, being dear to God. Why? Because he wants to be dear and near to you. And so here it is, the calling card to everyone who hears. Come in, be my friend. Let's enjoy friendship. More than anything else, the book of Acts is about a loving relationship with God. Yes, it is historical. It is and has theological underpinnings. But more than these, it's about relationship with God. And I think to really dive into the book of Acts, to really make it your own story, you have to understand this is about relationship. This is about a new way of life that we can live with God. So that in order for the book of Acts to be my story, it begins by accepting God's friendship. You know, that's hard for us to do because we know ourselves. It's easy for us oftentimes to love other people, but to accept God's love in our lives because he knows every detail. He knows, it's, it's very difficult for us to do that. But what he's saying here, what the book of Acts is telling us right from the get-go, is you need to enter into this friendship that God wants to be your friend. And I think there are people here that need to, just, you just need to hear that today. That God wants a friendship with you. How amazing is that? How amazing is it to know that he wants a friendship with me, the God of the universe, the one who loves unconditionally, is my friend. The application question here for us is this. How would you describe your friendship with God? How would you describe that friendship you know, right now, this moment? And the way that I can think about it, the way that I have thought about it is like, you know, I've, I've been told, my, my mom and my dad say, you know what, you know, do you realize you have third and fourth cousins that, that they live down in Texas and, and they're related to you? And I'm thinking, okay, there's a family tree here and they're third and fourth cousins. I have never met them. I don't know who they are. I just know somehow I'm related to them. Your friendship might be described with God right now as a third or fourth distant cousin. Or it may be described as he's my closest friend right now. 
that God is so near and dear to me. And each one of us make that appraisal. We take that inventory. And here's something else that makes the book of Acts your story. Believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Believe in the resurrection. Look at verse 3. After his sufferings, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important thing that has ever happened on this planet. Would you agree? That's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, listen, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are hopeless. We have not received forgiveness, nor could we receive forgiveness of sin. We we are not in a posture to receive grace. Paul says it's because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have all these things that God wants to give us. One of the unique aspects of Christianity is we know exactly what day it started. Isn't that amazing? You know the day that Christianity started. Christianity has a definite starting point. And that's not true about every other faith or philosophy or religion. But it is true about Christianity. Christianity started in one place on one day at one moment with one man And his name is Jesus Christ. That is the pinnacle. It's the resurrection. Jesus was dead. And what they said, he was dead. And what we know now is he is alive. There are so many convincing proofs that he spent time with us. He fellowshiped with us. He ate with us. He did all of this after the resurrection from the grave, from the dead. Listen, there are many journeys that we take to Jesus. And that's your story. That's what God has crafted in you. Some have come to Jesus Christ through hardship and trial and sorrow. Some have come through Jesus to Jesus Christ through in joy or moments of, 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 of heartache. We've, we have a different story. Your story, your, your way to Jesus Christ, how you came to that place of knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's what's called in the Bible your testimony that is unique to you. No one else has come to Christ the way that you've come to Christ, but you've come to Christ because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And while you have different journeys to Jesus, there's only one way to the Father in heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. What's your story? And that's the thing that we hide. That's the thing that we, we devalue. We don't think it's that important. Listen, your story is huge because of your story and it's unique. How did you come to faith in Jesus Christ? What is your story? I came to faith in Jesus Christ in the Good News Bible Club when I was seven years old. And I'll never forget it. I, I, my life was changed right there. Seven years old, my life's changed. What is your story? And here's what I want you to do in the next uh, few hours of your day. I want you to just, if you can, just sit down quietly. Maybe you're in your car, something like that. And I want you to take a moment of reflection and think back when your story and believing in the resurrection started. You know why? You live such a fast pace, you don't oftentimes look back. And I'm guilty. I'm not a great reflector. Because I want to take the next hill. I want to take the next challenge. I want to move and do something new and different. But I'm going to tell you this. You know when you sit down and you think of that place and the way that you were brought into faith to Jesus Christ, there is a gratitude that is overwhelming in our lives because we can say, here is the time and the moment 
that I believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what was happening with these disciples. They knew the resurrection. They saw the convincing evidence of the resurrection. So here it is. What are some of the obstacles that keep you from believing and trusting in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Of making it your story. Of making it yours. Of making the power of his resurrection alive in you. And here it is. The book of Acts. For it to be my story. For it to be your story. I get to receive God's promise. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what verses 4 and 5 tell me. Jesus leaves. He ascends to heaven. And what happens is he says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. My Holy Spirit is going to be with you in my physical absence. This is perpetual. This is through all generations. This is beautiful. In verses 4 and 5, it says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, I love this again, you know about hospitality, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Underline that word if you can, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The early church believed that when God moved, he gets all the credit, he gets all the glory because God's Spirit is one working in us. He is the one. And you know, that's why that word wait is used. The word wait is used, and it's not just a a waiting with nothing to do and fiddling your thumbs and that kind of thing. It's a waiting with expectation. And that waiting is something that needs to be there in our lives because if we don't wait, we go out and do and then we take all the credit because we think we did it. So what is, what is Jesus saying to them? He's saying, listen, you need to wait for something pretty amazing. I mean, th- this, is going to be, this is going to change the world. It is going to radically change you and I don't want you to think that you were the one in charge. You were the one responsible. So what you need to do is you need to wait. You need to wait for this wonderful gift, this promise. And that's exactly what they did. We'll talk about it more in chapter 2. While they were eating. I love that phrase. Look at that phrase with, with me. While they were eating. You know how many wonderful things happen in that environment, culture of hospitality? More than you know. More than you know that there is such a richness in the, in, the, in the community, in the time where we are spending with one another. There's this explosive, this, it really is. It's about setting the stage for this explosive work of God's Holy Spirit. Where were they when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? They were in an upper room. They were waiting. They were spending time together. They're, they were eating. They were in fellowship. And what was it? It was this environment of hospitality where they were not only loving one another, they were not only inviting one another in, but they were inviting the Holy Spirit. Your hospitality makes all the difference in the world. I think what God does is he looks at our heart and he says, do you have an open heart? Are you a hospitable person? Because if you are, man, I could really do a lot with you. Because you're open. Because you have that that heart to say, God, come into my life as I embrace those around me, as I love those around me. God, work in my life. Now notice verse 5. Jesus compares John's baptism by water to God's baptism in the Holy Spirit. How many have been baptized in water? You've been baptized in water? Pretty wet, wasn't it? That's the whole nature of it, isn't it? 
and we do, we do baptism here. We're going to do it in a couple weeks. If you've never had that experience, we want you to. We want to encourage you. It's about being a disciple. But uh, did you come up dry? No. Did you come up partly dry? No. I make sure, especially if I get a few bucks on the side, I'll hold you down a long time <laughs> if you really need it. But you're fully immersed. And what Jesus is saying, you see, he, they, what you have in mind about baptism, that's John's baptism, that is a baptism of repentance. Listen, this is the best way I can describe it to you. That's what Jesus is saying. It is a total immersion of my spirit dwelling in you. It's not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. You are going to be immersed. You are going to be saturated. You are going to be consumed by my Holy Spirit. Wow. I mean, this had to rock these guys' world. The Holy Spirit baptism is God's power working from the inside out 24-7. That's the promise. That's what we've been promised. Jesus is telling us that when we wait on God, he will give us his power. And that, listen, can I say this? If you don't think you need his power right now, then would you do this? Would you pray for the gift of desperation? Because whether or not you think you need his power or not, you need his power. And oftentimes we think of his power as, in, in, that, that comes in these just, I mean, really um, outlandish ways, and that does happen. But you know what? There, there's the power that he gives us to resist temptation. There's the power that he gives us to listen and be aware of the work of his Holy Spirit. There's a power there. A power that we haven't tapped altogether. A power that he wants us to understand that we would be saturated. What's he telling us? He's saying, uh, you, you guys are desperate. You know those guys, 120 in the upper room? They're pretty desperate folks. I mean, given their, given their responsibility, 120 are going to reach or try to reach a community of about the size of Portland? That is amazing. What they knew is they were desperate. They said, I need, I need the power of God's Holy Spirit. So what is it? Our dependence should shift. And here's what happens. Our dependence should shift from whatever we depend on, whether it's religion or money or substance, to God's promise. That is the Holy Spirit. Life application question is, what do you depend on to get through your day? What do you lean on? Uh, what do you, what's your fallback when it gets stressful, when it gets tough, when it gets tight? Where do you go? What do you do when that happens? What we're being told here is replace what that is with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. In fact, Paul repeats that similar idea in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, hey, don't be drunk with wine. Don't trust in this to emotionally get you through. Don't depend on this to make you feel better. Don't depend on this to make you happy. Don't depend on any of that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's who we depend on. So, where is our dependence? What do we depend on? Now, look at Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. I've read them to you already. It says, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Remember, we talked about that. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. What did the disciples want Jesus to do for them? Same thing we do. 
to give them answers, to measure, to quantify, to give them a timeline. Again, does that sound familiar? The conditional kinds of prayers we bring before him. It was in these verses, once again, that the Lord just spoke and said, Embrace the mystery, capital M, the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you why this is so important for us today, why this was so important for me? This is because I realized something about my life and the generation that I'm part of, and that is this, that, that we have attempted, including in our churches, to wire out the awe and wonder of God. We want answers. We want explanations. We come here for answers. We come here for explanations. And I, and I think all oh, that's wonderful, but I'm going to tell you something. You cannot measure. You cannot quantify. You cannot do that to the Holy Spirit. He will blow you out of the water. And we've become this wonderless group of people. There's no more sense of awe. I know that's true and has been true about my life. But I want that awe. I want that wonder. I want the mystery of God's Holy Spirit to work in me. And that, re- that tells me that there's a surrender involved. There's a humility involved. Is it scary? Absolutely. It can scare you to death. But is that awe and wonder in your life? When you think about God's Holy Spirit, when you think about His majesty... We live in a day of technology and science. What is science and technology doing? It's wonderful, it's great, but what has it done? It has removed the awe and wonder from a lot of our lives. You want answers? Wikipedia, baby. That's all good. But it cannot replace the awe and wonder of God. So here it is, life application question. What are some of the unknowns in your life that scare you today? What are the things that are right out ahead of you? It's unknown. Uh, maybe retirement, it may be a job, it may be a, a school experience, it may be a relationship, whatever it is. What is that that's standing in front of you that's unknown that scares you today? And what I want to encourage you to do is I want to encourage you in even all of that, embrace the mystery of God. Say, God, I, I don't know how you're going to do all this. Uh, I don't know how you're going to provide. I don't know how you're going to work. But you know what? I'm embracing you. I'm here on this journey because I know you have my best interest in mind. You have given me the promise of your Holy Spirit. I'm holding on. I'm embracing that promise. And I want you to work in my life. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Just create in me that awe and wonder of your Holy Spirit. The book of Acts becomes my story when I participate in the mission. When I take ownership in the mission, verse 8, what does it say in verse 8? It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Why do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? Why do we need the power of the Holy Spirit? If we're just doing the same old, same old, What do you need the power for? God doesn't want to waste that. He says to be my witnesses. Wow, that's powerful. That that, that term witnesses, and by the way, let me explain that to you. The term witness means this. It means, I mean, in 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 its deepest sense, and really if you translated it directly across, it means martyr. 
is what it means. But here's the essence of what it's saying to us. That you have witnessed, you have experienced something that is deeply real to you. That it has touched every sense of your, of your being. That it is so deep, you can't, it is irrefutable, it is undeniable that you have had an experience, a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ that has radically changed your life. And right now, you will die, then tell a lie. That's what it's saying. It's saying there's no way that anyone could tell me anything different because I accept that I received the gift of salvation at seven years old in a good news Bible club. I know that. That is true. And I will die for that. Nothing can change that. It is the absolute truth. A witness means there is someone who will say, you know what, you can tell me everything you want to tell me, but I know what I know, and I will die for what I know. And the disciples were saying, I will die. I will be a witness for what I know happened in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I was there when he walked on the water. I was there when he provided 10 bucks. I was there when my car broke down and started up again. I was there, and I'm a witness to what he's done in my life. That's the power of God's Holy Spirit. But no one can tell you different. Because you witnessed that. And where are we called to be as witnesses? Well, he starts at home. And he says, Jerusalem, be a witness today, right now, where you are. Friends and families. He's saying, do it right here. Be a witness right where you live. And then Judea and Samaria, it represents regions. And that we would be witnesses in the regions around us. And then, ultimately, to the uttermost parts of the earth. All around the world. That we've been called to be His witness. That we've been called to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. In all these places, Albania, Estonia, Costa Rica, India, Brazil, Rwanda, Uganda, all those places, Buffalo, New York, Kentucky, Colorado, wherever it is, Southern California, right here, wherever that is, we have been asked to be those people that know that they know that they know that Jesus is alive and the evidence of that life is the power of the Holy Spirit alive in me. You can't tell me otherwise. You can't tell me otherwise. That it's the work of God's Spirit in me. Listen, the Spirit of God is not just an experience. He is a new way of life. He is a new way of life. You tired of the same old, same old? I am. In your life, in my life. Then we come to this place and we say, God, I'm waiting on you to be filled with your Spirit. Application question. Here it is. Who is witnessing your witness? I mean, who's, who's around you that has eyes on you? They're witnessing your witness of Jesus Christ. Remember when the kids were little, we, were all, we had them packed in the car, and we are driving down the freeway, and somebody, they had the audacity, cut me off, me. You know, that's how you feel, don't you, in your car? Whoa. <gasps> get so offended. It's like they did it personally. They knew who I was, and they came after me. You know, and, I'm gonna, and I felt that way. I took it personally, and I'm thinking, man, and you know, this came up in me and I went, whoa, where did that come from? And right there, I'm just getting all mad. And, it, you know, if I you know, had cuss words, I probably would have used them right there and just went, ah. And then I look in the rearview mirror and I see three sets of eyes looking at me. Oh, ooh, somebody's witnessing my witness. 
You have sets of eyes on you. Who around you? And be aware, who around you is witnessing, witnessing your witness? And then the last thing is this. The last thing that makes the book of Acts your story. Whose story is it? My story. Say that, my story. Whose story is this? My story. In order for this to change our lives... It isn't a story altogether about the church. It isn't a story about me. It isn't a story. It's a story about you, your story. What does he say here? The book of Acts says to make it your story, you need to wait for his return. We've we've, we've sung about that. We've talked about that. We've done that. How many grew up with a mom or dad or mom and dad that had chore lists for you? Did that? That might be a little archaic today. I don't know. But how many? I did. You grew up with somebody. And moms and dad had chore lists. And, you know, there was, I always, I can't, every time, I couldn't get away from the chore list. Tons of chore lists. On the refrigerator, on my bedroom door, there are chore lists. I'm thinking, this isn't child slavery, you know. That's the way you feel sometimes as a kid. But I'm, I'm looking at this. I got a chore list. And there's those chore lists. And when my mom uh, told me to clean up my room. The language that I heard to clean up my room was to stuff everything under the bed. That's how I cleaned up my room. And she knew that. And so instead of just saying, clean up your room, I, she put little charts down, little details. Now, now, don't you make sure it's your drawers too and your closet and your... And there's this chore list. I'm going, whoa. My dad gave us chores. My dad was one of a great, he was a great chore giver, and he would not relent if he said, I want you to hoe the weeds to this line, and they got, you know, up to that, much to the line. He would call us all back in and say, it didn't go to the line. You got to finish. Finish what you started. Finish it. Do it. You know? There's a chore list. But then my dad would give me chores. He says, I want these done. I'm getting home at 6 o'clock tonight, and I want these chores done. Guess when I started the chores? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, 5.59, you know. That's when I started the chores. That's, that's just what we do. We put it off. We procrastinate. We do things like that. By the way, many Christians live their life that way. We've, we've, we've got, he's given us a plan, a chore list here. You know what, what, what all the, the law is just shrunk down into a couple things? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. There's your chore list. That's what it means to be a witness. The question is, is are, are we just going to just scramble around and flounder now and wait till we think it's going to happen? No. This is what's amazing. This is what's amazing. They got a chore list and they went about doing their chore list. The early church didn't talk about how Jesus was coming. You know, we spent a lot of time. Well, I think it's going to be on October 31st, 19th. Well, no, no, it's going to come this way. It's going to be pre-trib. No, no, post-trib. No, mid-trib. People ask me that all the time. And can I tell you, be honest with you, I don't care. I, I'm sorry, that might be blaspheming according to you theologians. I know he's coming. And he's coming soon. And I want to be about my father's business doing his chores. That's why I need the power of his Holy Spirit. You want to be about doing your father's chores. That's so cool. You just do. You know, when I was doing my chores at home, I mean, and I'd be going, then every now and then I'd be looking kind of like, do I hear the car coming in the driveway yet? I mean, is it getting close? Be about your business and just be in this great state of weighted expectation. He's coming soon. 
He's coming soon. That's what it tells us here. He's coming soon. The early church didn't talk about all this other stuff. They talked about it would happen any moment. It could happen any moment. And when you live believing Christ could return soon, you live a different life. That's what it says in verses 9 through 11. And after he said these things, they were taken up before his very eye, their very eyes. And a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going. And when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand? Why are you wasting time? You got a job to do. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him Go into heaven. I love that. I love what it says here. Jesus' mission, do you know this? The first time he came was to be a lamb for sinners slain. Do you know how he's going to come the second time? A lion. A lion. That's what the Bible tells us. That's the way he's going to come back. Life application question. What would you do different If you knew Jesus was coming back today, what would you rearrange in your life if you knew that the Father was coming home to check on your chore list? I heard one of my mentors ask that question. You know what one of my mentors said? Said this. Hopefully nothing. If I knew Jesus was coming today, I want to be caught doing the things that he called me to do with the power of his Holy Spirit. I hope I wouldn't have to change anything on my list. Wow. Me too. What is it that would be adjusted? Maybe it wouldn't be. But what is, what are those things that if you knew he was coming back today, what would you adjust? What would you change? And then go about changing it. Why? Because he's coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Make the story of Acts your story. Say, God, come. Make it my story. Would you bow your head? I'm going to invite our our, uh, worship team to come forward. God, it's so wonderful. You've given us your word, and, and, and we... We want to absorb it. We want to study it. We want to know your word. We want to know you. But so often we read your word and we distance ourselves from it. We, we, we look at it historically. That's wonderful. We look at it as, as, um, as a theological uh, thesis. We do those things. And, but when we read the book of Acts, more than all of that, what you're telling us, what you're saying to us today, right now, is make the book of Acts, my story. And Lord, we depend on you. Give us the gift of desperation that we might be filled to overflowing with the power of your Holy Spirit as we'll see what took place in Acts chapter 2 with these wonderful men and women who gathered desperate to know you, to do your work. Let us be about your business because this is what we know. You are coming soon. Would you stand with me? 
You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope.